Well, good evening. It's good to be with you again uh, as we kind of finish up uh, our time in Acts this, this week and then next week uh, will be our, our final weeks and we're not going to be getting through again the whole book. Um, this week we're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 14 and then we were going to be jumping into Acts chapter 20 next week. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, just kind of uh, Paul's journey, all the three missionary journeys, and then how it kind of concludes with this uh, this challenge uh, of Paul's life uh, verse, some of the, some of Paul's life verses as uh, as we look at Acts chapter twenty. So it's going to be a beautiful time in God's Word next week. But tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter fourteen. So if you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter fourteen with me. And uh, let me get over there myself, and, and then we will pray. So, all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We know that uh, there is power in your word, and Lord, we thank you for what it does, what it brings to us as individuals. It, it is life. Lord, and, and Lord, as we look at Acts chapter 14, as we look at Paul and Barnabas and their first missionary journey and the things that they went through, the adversity and the difficulty that they faced, Lord, would you speak to us in a very powerful way? Would you challenge us in the way we live our lives? And Lord, would you, would you use this chapter to, to encourage us to live differently this week, not only this week, but the rest of our life? And so, Lord, I pray that you would take this and use it for your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I've titled this, this, um, this message, Knocked Down But Not Out, Knocked Down But Not Out. As we've all experienced during this pandemic, life is unpredictable, isn't it? Extremes. We, we, life brings extremes, doesn't it? One day it's good and things are great and the next day life is falling apart. We, our car breaks down or, or our wife or, or, or our spouse, they, they leave. Or our, our child rebels against us. And, and difficulty comes and, and feels like life is falling apart. You can't make the, the payments that you need to on the things that you have. And, and so life brings difficulty. We never know what's around the corner, do we? Sometimes our health is good. And then other times our health is bad and we find ourselves in the hospital. In early March, right before all of this stuff started happening uh, with this pandemic stuff, uh, I was running and I was exercising and I was, I was feeling good. My body was strong and, and I felt like I was doing well. And yet one morning I woke up in, in, in the middle of the early March with this pain in my side and the, the, it was it was like a, a deep cramp inside, uh, right underneath my rib cage, and and I thought to myself, well, this must be a cramp from running, and it'll go away. I looked up online and to see what it was, and and I thought, you know, maybe maybe this would be uh, something that you know uh, would just go away on its own, and so as I. Um, as I just did a little research and, and said, well, maybe this is just a normal cramp, uh, it, it subsided and, it, and it, it was there for, I mean, it was, it continued and it was, was there for an hour and then it was there for two hours and then it, it continued and it started to intensify and get worse and I was wondering, what is this cramp and this pain? And it started to take all of my attention so much so that I started to really uh, just curl up in a ball in, in, on my bed and wondering what is going on. And I said, I've got to get myself to the hospital. I've got to start, I need to consider what, what this could be. This could be an appendicitis or something else. And as I went to the hospital and I was there, they, um, they diagnosed it as a kidney stone. 
In the next five to seven days, I, I had to slowly go through the process of passing the stone, the pain that came with that. One day I was healthy, and the next I was not doing good. I wished my days were steady as, as they go, but that wasn't, that's not the case, is it, church? You can't plan life to be smooth sailing without any rough waters. It just isn't possible. Some of, our, some of us wish that we could have life on cruise control and that all things would just go well. Just put, put on the pr- cruise control and, and, and let life go. In fact, that's America's motto. Um, we love that concept. In fact, we... We build our lives around that concept. We work really hard for the first 40 years of our lives so that the last 30 years that we could just coast and retire. Well, that's that's not true living. That's not the life that I've experienced, and I don't think that's the life that I will experience when I get into my uh, uh, later years of life. As hard as we will work to make that happen, the Christian life will always throw us a curveball. There always will be that up and that down. In fact, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time to plant and a time to pluck, a time to build up and a time to tear down, a time to laugh and a time to weep, a time to kill and a time to heal a time to dance and a time to mourn. He has made everything beautiful in its time. God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every purpose and for every work. Someone once said this about life. Life is a continual process of getting used to the things you've never planned to do. Isn't that true? Church, this is not what I planned to do in early May this year. Yet this is what we get to do. Life has changed radically for us. And it may not get back to normal quite the way it was. It's interesting. But life changes. Life is unpredictable, and sometimes life knocks us down. This, I hoped that, that life would be different right now. This is not what I would want to be doing as a pastor, uh, social distancing in the store as I see people that I know, and I have to go kind of, you know, stay away from them, uh, yet I want to go over and give them a hug and, and a tender touch as a pastor would, and yet you can't do that. It's, it's against the rules. And yet God will use all of this for his purpose. Tonight in our study, we're going to see, we're going to follow Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. As, we, as they experience highs and lows as they go through this, uh, this, this missionary journey. No smooth sailing for these guys. As they go out to do God's work, put their hands to the plow and to, to get busy doing the work that God has commissioned them to do. You see, we are never promised smooth sailing as believers. Did you know that? If you came to know Christ or you just came to understand the knowledge of, of God, and you think God's going to save all your problems. He's going to solve all, all those things. That's not, that's not true. God never promised that the Christian life would be easy. He just promised that he would be there with us in the midst of it. In fact, Jesus promised the opposite. In John sixteen thirty three, in the world, it says, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, Jesus says. You're going to face 
trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world and one day you will be with me in paradise. Jesus told the apostle Paul that he would suffer for his namesake. Now how many of you are willing to sign up for suffering tonight, right? Some of you might be suffering out there tonight and you're experiencing difficulty, and you're experiencing suffering, but do you want to sign up for that? Last week, we saw the church leaders in Antioch lay hands on Paul and Barnabas and send them out through the leading of the power of the Holy Spirit on this first missionary journey. Now, you would think, gosh, this is exciting stuff. We're going to get to see Paul and Barnabas step out and do some incredible things for God and and be used by God to bring, bring glory to his name, and we will see those things, yet it doesn't come without adversity and difficulty and trial. Sometimes we think as we step out in the things of God that God is going to just make things easy. That's not the case. Through the leading of the Holy Spirit, they they sail. They go from Antioch, and they sail over to the island of Cyprus, to Barnabas' hometown, and they preach the gospel there. And their first convert is there on the island of Cyprus. And then they sail northward, north and northwest, to the port city of Perga, And from there they journeyed inland to Presidia, and then to Iconium, and then Lystra, and then Derbe, which we will read all about in our text tonight. This region, for for some of you that don't know or understand this area, this is modern-day Turkey today, but in this time frame, some of you have opened your Bibles and you've read the book of Galatians. Well, this is the area of Galatia. This are, these are the cities that, that they will pass through and, 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 and speak of the area of Galatia. In fact, young Timothy, who Paul writes to in First and Second Timothy, said, I believe gets saved on this first missionary journey. When Paul and Barnabas pass through Lystra, on, the, on their journey. Paul and Barnabas will be expelled from a, 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 a city. They will, be, they will um, escape sudden death and they will be stoned and left for dead. Then Paul will get up from the stoning along with Barnabas and they will head back into the same city that they were stoned in to visit and encourage believers in these cities. They will then travel back through the cities that they went to and they will, they will encourage the believers of their newfound faith in those cities as they go. Appointing spiritual leaders and strengthening their souls in those places. Then finally returning home from their missionary journey to Antioch with excitement in their hearts they share the great things that God had done. One thing we will see is though they experience persecution in difficult circumstances, it doesn't stop them from sharing the good news of the gospel of Christ to the people all around them. In fact, we find them filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing like leading someone to the Lord. Is it? Is there? If you've ever led someone to Christ, you know the feeling. You know the experience where God is using you to transform a heart and a life right in front of your eyes. And he's using you to do it as you lead them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to guide a person to the truth to infuse the truth of God's word into their lives and watch their lives grow. There's nothing like that, church. Some of the most exciting moments in my own life have been those moments where I was sharing the gospel 
And, and that person in front of me was responding to the gospel and their lives were transformed and they, and they received the gospel and, and their lives, they, re, they received Jesus and, their, and they repented from sin and their lives were changed and tears were falling from their eyes and they were transformed in a moment. They were born again. Such beautiful moments. And yet, those moments don't come without trial. They're real, yet very exciting. And that's what we see in this section tonight. So let's begin. If you would, go one page back in, in, uh, to chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 49 tonight. And then we're going to jump into 14 and go all the way through 14. So Verse 49 of chapter 13, it says, And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region, but they, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. God was sending forth his word. It was being spread throughout the land. His mission was being accomplished, but not without adversity. God was sending, sending forth his word, yet these Jews gathered up the leaders of the town and came against them and the men and women forced them out of the district. This reminds me of a story of a close missionary family uh, that I knew living in Morocco. Twelve years they had invested their life in the people of Morocco. They were reaching the Berber people in Morocco and they were loving them and they gave their life to, to the work of the gospel in Morocco. A very closed country. If you were ever going to Morocco, you're not able just to go in and just begin to proselytize however you, how, however you like. No, you had to do it quietly in underground in, in all those things. And they started working there for many years and they were invested they were there for 12 years serving the Lord faithfully until one day they weren't welcome anymore they were expelled from the country they weren't able to live there anymore their their visas were denied and 12 years of work of building relationships in in uh, work a, a, a gospel work, relationships, it was all over. And they could have easily gotten discouraged. They could have easily gone away and said, okay, forget it, I'm done. Yet they shook the dust off their feet and they decided to continue to serve the Lord in another part of the world. Oh, that I would have that perspective, church that I could just get up and move from a work that I had been pouring into for 12 years. I love this last verse in, in, in chapter 13, verse 52. And the disciples were filled, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. My first point is filled tonight, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Joy in the midst of, of adversity, joy, joy in the midst of trial. How does one find joy in the midst of trial? Church, joy is different than happiness. Did you know that? It's not the same. Happiness is determined by our circumstances. It's an emotional response to what we're going through. Joy is choosing contentment in the midst of our circumstances. It's a choice to want to be content in whatever place that God has you, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Joy. Joy 
is a mindset. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 says, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, and to die is gain. This is the foundation of of joy, actually. My life is Jesus. My substance is Jesus. Jesus is my is is my soul's longing. Jesus is my portion. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. And if we have that perspective, then for me to live is Christ and to die, oh, it's gain. If I'm seeking joy in any other source, whether it's a a place, a person, or a thing, those things will leave me empty. Those things will leave me without, without joy. If I put my, my joy in a source that's not going to provide other than God, it will leave me empty. Fill in, the, fill in the blank for yourself. For me to live is, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a person that you've placed on a pedestal in your life and, and you're now uh, worshiping them in, in such a way that, that it's not good because, because you have placed them too high. For you to live is, is a vacation. <laughs> Some of us really want a vacation, right? After all of this, hanging out in our homes with our, our families. Fill in the blank. What, what is for me to live is? What gives you life? What gives you purpose? What fills in the blank for you? If my life is Christ, then to die is gain. That was Paul and Barnabas' perspective. Take my life. It's not my own. It's not mine anyway. Take it. And we're going to see that here in a little bit in this text as we get into this. But joy must be our banner, church. We need to wave the banner of joy in our lives, as you get up tomorrow, as you face tomorrow, as you face the difficulties in your, in, your, in your relationships, in your workplace, wherever you're at, in your loneliness, you need to wave the banner of joy in this life toward this coronavirus. Wave the banner of joy and be filled with the Holy Spirit. These disciples did. So let me ask you a question. Is your glass empty tonight? Do you feel empty? Or is it being continually filled? D.L. Moody said this, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will then fill every corner of your heart. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition in the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. And we must be emptied before we can be filled. That's a good challenge for us tonight. So what are you filled with? What are you filled with? I don't know what your life is like out there. But let me challenge you. If it's not filled with Jesus, if it's not filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're not empowered by the Spirit of God each and every day, and you're not walking in the Spirit of God, then, then what are you filled with? Oh, church, we need to be filled with His power. We need to walk in the Spirit of God. Let's continue on in verse 1 of chapter 14. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue 
of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude both uh, both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed so here Paul and Barnabas get just get expelled from Presidia they head to Iconium and nothing's going to stop these guys they're going to continue to do the work that God has called them to do and when they get into town they go right into the synagogue They go right into the synagogue and they start preaching the gospel and sharing with the people that are gathered there. And many believed, both Jews and Greeks, the Holy Spirit is moving, using these disciples to proclaim the gospel. Let me point something out here. God is all-powerful, right? And if God is all-powerful, he could open up the sky and he could start, and he could proclaim the gospel to the world, couldn't he? If he desired to, he could open up the sky and he'd say, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Turn to Jesus. He could do that, but he doesn't, does he? Why? Because he chooses to use people like you and I to proclaim his truth. You see, God is about relationship. He's a relational God. His whole plan was to to be in relationship with mankind, with his people, with his creation. So church, we have this precious job that he has given us to be in relationship with him, to go and do for his sake, and that is to share the truth that we know with others and to watch God change lives through the power of the Holy Spirit as we do that. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says in in Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy, and he says it to the church. He says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. We all have a ministry to fulfill. If you're a believer out there tonight, what is your ministry? God wants you to fulfill your ministry. What is your ministry that God has for you? It's a challenging question as we, as we walk, as we wait this out in this, this quarantine time, as we wait this out, what is coming, guys? What is coming, church? What does God have for you after all of this? Maybe it's time for you to step into ministry. Maybe it's time to get serious about our relationship with Jesus because it's getting serious. The time is getting serious. The end times is getting closer. And Jesus is closer now than he ever was to coming back. And we're beginning to see the signs. Don't, don't, don't be asleep on the couch When Jesus comes back, church, it's time. Step into your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Verse 2, and here comes the opposition. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Opposition was building. But that didn't stop them. Look what what they did. It says, the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. Took the, the truth and distorted it enough to get them to think that they were incorrect. But look at verse 3. It says, therefore, they stayed there a long time. Now, if a bunch of people were stirred up against you, you probably wouldn't stay around very long. But Paul and Barnabas stayed a long time, and they they continued speaking boldly in the Lord. I love this about Paul and Barnabas. They didn't run. (laughs) They didn't fear. They stayed long and they spoke boldly. That's brave. 
That's brave. We need more people, more men and women to be brave for the name of Christ. You know, it's sad that we have to see bravery by going to the theater. It's sad that we have to go to see a movie or pick a a, a movie that shows us bravery. Bravery should be what we live and live out in the gospel and and take risks for for the Lord, yet yet we see it here in, in our text tonight. Men living brave for the gospel's sake. Church, what would happen if we would live brave? What would happen if we took a step of faith and we began to to speak the name of Jesus and trusted to see what God would do in the midst of it? What would would happen if we, we took a risk and took a step of faith and allowed Jesus to use us? But it takes bravery. Look at verse four. But the multitude of the city was divided in parts, part sided with the Jews and part sided with, with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their, with their rulers to abuse and to stone them, they, be, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra, Derby, and Derby, the cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. Which brings me to my next point, divided. The city was divided. The multitude of the city was divided. The enemy is always trying to divide. He divides and he distorts the truth, doesn't he? The good word of the gospel was, has gone out to, to this area, Icon, Iconium. And yet Satan has come in to destroy the good news. Destroy it from landing on good soil as, as the seeds have been sown. We see the same thing happen in the Garden of Eden. Remember? Adam and Eve, the serpent divides Adam and Eve and breaks their unity as as a couple and then distorts the truth and tells Eve that she she will not surely die if she eats of the fruit. For God knows that in that day you eat it, you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will Be like God, knowing good and evil. (laughs) That is a lie and a distortion of the truth. Distorting the truth. That's what Satan's been doing from the beginning. Oh, be careful, church, that you don't fall into Satan's tactics. He is a liar, and he is the king of lies. And he's out to steal and to kill and to destroy your life. He wants to take every good thing from you. Don't believe him when he says, you know what, your marriage is over. Don't believe him when when he says, you know what, you're not good enough to, to lead a Bible study. Don't believe him when he starts putting those things in your path. So they hear the the enemy's plans and they get out of town. This reminds me of a a moment in my own life. In 2004, I went on a a missionary journey of my own with a missionary uh, from here, from Rocky Mountain Calvary many years ago. His name was David LeCompte. And we went into the the city of, uh, of Grozny in Chechnya. And we we went in. It was a war-torn city. There was bombs going off and shooting at night. And I remember when we came in, we came in at dark. And we were going through these checkpoints. And, and these, these, uh, these soldiers would check our passports. And they would wonder what we were doing in, in Russia and, and in Chechnya. And why we were going down to, to Grozny. 
As we rolled into Grozny, I could see fire and, and bombed out buildings and, and these, these, these gunshots from, from different places throughout the city. And it was cold. And I thought, man, this is, this is wild. And the next day we got up and went to an orphanage. Most of those kids had seen their, their parents shot and killed right in front of their eyes. And we went there to love on those kids and to share the gospel and to, to play games and to laugh and to, and to dance with them. And then we went to the hospital and we, we brought care packages to, to those that were in the hospital. Uh, and this, this hospital was not a hospital. It was, it was, a, it was a, a bombed out building barely put together for, for uh, medical reasons. And I, at the end of that day, those few days, I, I thought, oh, this is so beautiful. When everybody has left, when all the other organizations had gone, when all the other missionaries were out of town, they were, there was no one there. And yet we came in. And then we got word that the Russians, the K, KGB, was, had found out kind of where we were at and what we were doing. And so they were starting to go house to house to find out where we are. And, and I remember this very clearly. I was in the living room of this house and they said, the KGB is just, just houses down from us. And they said, grab your stuff, we've got to go. And we took all of our stuff, we grabbed our stuff, and we went out the back door and we jumped into this car, this old, old, huge Russian car, and we jumped in and we, we were on our way and we, got, we, we started to get out of town. It was very similar to what Paul and Barnabas must have felt like. Look at verse 8. And then, and in Lystra, a certain man, without strength in his feet, was sitting, a crippled from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul uh, ob observing him intently, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with uh, a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and he walked. This, is, this story is very similar to the story that we, we studied in Acts chapter 3. Remember the story? A man sitting in front of the gate beautiful, crippled, just like this man. And Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I, I, have, I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. Rise up and walk. And, and the man begins to leap and praise God, just like this story. But what's interesting is they both, Paul and Peter, looked at them in the eye. And Paul and Peter knew something about them. They knew the faith that was in them. When I, when I look at the church, when I, when I, when I get to teach and, and I get to look at you guys as, as we go around the room and I can see Roy over here and others around the room that I know of and, and I see your eyes, there's something about the gospel and the, and the words of God being spoken to a, a congregation, a, a church, and, 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 the preacher or the, or the pastor is able to see the effect of those words in those people's eyes. And I imagine this is what Paul and Barnabas felt as, as well as Peter when this man gets healed. Now let's look at, see what happens next in verse 11. Now when the people saw that Paul had done, what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas 
they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the, the, then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the front of the city, brought oxen and garland to, to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Which brings me to my next point, worshipped. Worshipped. These people, these, these pagan idolaters begin to worship Paul and Barnabas. God started moving powerfully through them. They were starting to speak the truth of God to these people. And they're, they're amazed by the truth that they're being heard, that's, that's being heard. The gospel had been received in, in this unchurched crowd starts to glorify the creation rather than the creator. And they started to uh, lift up Paul and Barnabas as gods. If you know anything about the, the uh, Greek mythology, Zeus is the father of, of all Greek gods. His Roman name is Jupiter. And Hermes is his son. And he is the, the fleet-footed messenger of, of the gods. And his name, his Roman name was Mercury. So evidently, Barnabas is perceived as this older, more, more dignified father figure, while Paul is the one who, is, who speaks with amazing fire. Church, every time there's a powerful move of God, like this, there's always a counter move by the enemy. There's always a counter move by the enemy. Wouldn't you agree? You see, the enemy is trying to destroy what God is doing here in this chapter. And we see it all through this, this section. That's what the enemy has done for quite some time. Isn't he? Isn't that what he does? He knows our weaknesses, doesn't he? He knows where to get us discouraged as he gets us thinking about difficulties and roadblocks as he puts roadblocks into our lives. Oftentimes, he will work on us physically as God may give, allow him to work on us through the, the example of Job. And if that doesn't work, then he'll work on minds. He'll try to throw thoughts at us. He'll try to get us to get discouraged by speaking that you're not good enough. You're, you're a failure. You're not, you're not smart enough. You're not, you, God can't use you. You don't know the Bible well enough. And so he tries to discourage and bring persecution if he if, if that doesn't work. And if that doesn't work, then, then he does something else that we see in these verses. He attacks inwardly with popularity. The enemy will whisper in our ears, oh, you're so wonderful. When you speak, it's like honey that comes out of your mouth. It's so good. When the people, when, when you pray and you care for people, it's like God himself. And when, you, and when you pray, it's like heaven moves. Oh, the enemy starts building worldly pride in us as people begin to puff us up. And soon after, they fall. We see it all the time with pastors and leaders and church leaders as they, as they begin to think that there's something more, more than just a mere man. They think that they're, they're untouchable. They're, they're, there's something special about them. Yet it's the God that's in them that's special. They're just a man, just like anyone and yet Paul doesn't Paul and Barnabas don't fall for this popularity trick. 
We need to remember, church, that we're just a hose, a simple hose. Used to allow the living water to flow through it. Just a tool in the hands of God. In the summertime, when, when, when it's hot outside, and, and when, I, when I used to play outside, we would, we would run around the house, and we would, we would have so much fun outside. But when it got hot, I would go over to the hose, and I would turn on the faucet, and I would take the hose, and I would pour the water over me to cool myself off in the summertime. And in that moment, I don't praise the hose, do I? Oh, hose, you're so good. You're so good. You gave me so, so much nourishment. It's, it's so refreshing. Oh, hose, you're so good to me. No, that's not what we do. We, we look at the water and we say, oh, that water was so refreshing. The hose is just the conduit for the water to come out. We're just tools in the hands of God. Beware of the pride that gets built in us, church. We're just a hose. Let's look on in verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and, and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men who are this, of the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things in them. To confront the crowd, uh, crowd's actions of worshiping them, Paul and Barnabas tears their clothes in a sign of rejection to their worship. You see, their worship was misplaced. Their worship was misplaced. They were worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Oh, how easy that is for us to do. Isn't it, church? It's so easy to begin to put somebody or something on a pedestal and we begin to look to that. Oh, this church is so good and we begin to worship that church or this worship is so good and we begin to worship that, that, that worship band or we begin to hear from a pastor and they're being used by God and, and we put that person on a pedestal and, and yet, yet we're beginning to Worship the creation rather than the creator. And Paul and Barnabas say, hey guys, we're just mere men. We have nothing to offer you. We're just, we're just a conduit. We're a hose. Look to God who created the heavens and the earth. Again, don't worship the creation. Worship the creator. Verse 16 who in bygone, bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, did he not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and, and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with, good, with food and gladness? And with these sayings, they told they, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So Paul begins to share with them truth and, and about, about this good, good God. And they respond with more worship and more desire to sacrifice to them. I find this very interesting. Paul, he begins with general things and then he moves to specific you see, this, this was a pagan, pagan crowd, a pagan idolaters. You see, this area of uh, Galatia was, was known for its uh, paganism. You see, when Paul would go into the, the synagogue, he would, he would preach the gospel. He would, he would take the word and he would start to divide it. He would, he would share, share the truth of God's word. But with this crowd, he begins very simply, and he says, hey, guys, we're just, I'm just a man like you. 
And then he moves into, hey, you know what? God, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the one that you need to worship. And he's the one that has given you all good things. And they begin to worship them. You know, sometimes uh, we can turn people off towards the gospel because we come to them with the Bible pointed at them and, and saying, hey, you know what, here's what this says. And sometimes with those that have no background in church, sometimes we need to, we need to just care to listen and to understand where they're coming from and begin to find inroads and, and bridges that we can step into so that we can share the truth with them. Yet, yet it's too late for these guys and things have gotten out of hand. Look at verse 19. The enemy starts to take, bring religious, the religious, religious Jews from Iconium in to disrupt what God is doing in this moment. In verse 19 it says, And the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes. So they're persuaded and now they, it says they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. <sighs> However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby, stoned. This is my next point. This is a different kind of stone than what happens here in Colorado. Stoned, knocked down, but not destroyed. Knocked down, but not out. This is persecution. Why would God allow his servant to be stoned? Why? Why does he allow his children to be persecuted, left for dead? Why would God do this? I don't know. But I'm not God. All I know is his word is true. And in his word, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good, for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul says concerning the thorn in his flesh that he fought against and it was this, an infirmity that he had. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 8 it says, Concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my affirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in affirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, church, I don't understand those verses, but I believe those verses. The Bible tells me not to lean on my own understanding, but all, in all my ways acknowledge him and he will direct my path. I need to trust in him. I need to trust that what he says is true. And when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, when you're weak, then God will be made strong in you. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says this, but we have this treasure. What is this treasure? The treasure of, of the, the salvation of Christ that lives inside us, the Holy Spirit that resides inside us, this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power that may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, not but yet not crushed. We are per perplexed, but not, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down like Paul in this section, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord, that, in, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Beauty 
through adversity. Paul gets up from this stoning, half dead, and goes back into the city to continue what the Lord had called him to do. This is why our calling needs to be sure. Because God calls us to great things, hard things, difficult things, beautiful things. Verse 21, and when he had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. He's saying, guys, it's not just for me, it's for you. We must go through tribulations Entering the kingdom of heaven. The calling was clear for them. Be disciples, make disciples, send disciples. Be disciples, make disciples, and send disciples. Paul gets up, bruised, broken, hurt, barely together, and he gets up and goes back into Derby, goes back into Lystra, goes back into Iconium, and goes back into uh, Presidia, and, go, and makes his way through all of those cities where they have persecuted him all the while. And yet it didn't stop him. And what does he do? He, he strengthens the souls of the disciples, exhorting them, hey guys, you can continue on. If I can do it, you can do it. Continue in the faith. Don't worry about the adversity. It's coming, but don't worry. Many tribulations will come, but don't let that rob your joy. The joy Their joy increased as they saw souls uh, of the disciples strengthened. Their joy was increased as they saw saw people come to Christ. Their joy was encouraged as the believers continued in the faith. Church, this life is but a moment. Then it's over. What are you living for? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for your family? Are you living for things? Are you living for toys? Or are you living for Jesus? What are you living for? I guarantee you, Paul and Barnabas, they were living for Christ alone. Christ alone. Alone. Look at verse 23. And when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed and fasted, they, com- they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul and Barnabas were, about, were there for about three to six months in this area. Three to six months as they traveled through this area, as they, as, as they grew uh, these and matured these new believers in Christ. And as they did, they appointed leaders at the end. As they were leaving through each of the cities, they they would appoint leaders. Sometimes as as a body, we we are afraid to take risks to appoint leaders. I think it's sad because Paul did it in three months. He, he, He invested in them and he discipled them and then he appointed elders and leaders to the church as, they, as he left. This came, though, through a very special process of praying and fasting, asking who it is that the Lord would want to lead the church. Look at verse 24. And after they had passed through Presidia, they came to uh, Pamphylia. And when they, had, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to uh, Alida. From there they sailed to 
Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now, when they had come to the when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, that he had opened the doors, opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples, commended. They were commended for the work that they had accomplished. They were commended to the grace of God that God allowed to use their life. It was all about his grace and not about their boasting. It was about what God did and not about what they did. There's nothing like coming home, is there? Think about this for a second. When you go on a long journey, when you go on a long road trip, and you've been gone for a while and you've been gone for weeks, and you come home and you're, you're on your way back to, to home and you're just miles away and you're just longing for home. Such a good feeling to come home. I remember when my family and I returned from our own missionary journey as we were in Mexico planning a church for seven years. And there was nothing like after we've packed all of our things and we moved back home and as we came into Colorado Springs and knowing that this was going to be home for us, as we came back into Rocky Mountain Calvary and as we began to love and be loved by the people here, we received love and we received care. There's nothing, there's no place like home. Paul and Barnabas are home. Difficult journey. Adversity, persecution, stoned, left for dead. Yet they're home. They're home. They've been faithful to the mission. And when they returned, they didn't talk about their trials. They didn't talk about, oh, this was so hard. They talked about the victories and the open doors that God gave them. They talked about what God did and brought glory to God. The glory for all the things that were accomplished through them were, they gave to the Lord. And they spoke of God's grace in the work that God accomplished through them. You see, there's nothing like war stories. You think about a war story. As, people, as men come off the, the, the battlefield and they're sitting down and they're talking about the, the, the experiences that they've had as they were out on the field. And, and as those stories come come about as they, as they share about the, the difficulties and the, the battles and the victories that they've experienced, they rivet our hearts and our souls. War stories. Celebrating all that God had done. I can imagine the war stories of Paul and Barnabas as they come back into, the, into their home church and they begin to share all the beautiful things that God's done and the, the salvation and, and the, the multitudes of believers and, and the churches that have been planted and all those things. And they begin to worship God and celebrate. You see, Paul was knocked down but he wasn't destroyed. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know if you feel knocked down. I don't know if you feel like you're on the floor. But as I close, I want to read uh, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 to you. And it says this. Though the fig tree may not blossom nor the fruit be on, a, on the vines, nor the labor of the 
olive may fail, the field and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I will joy. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on the high hills. Church, hear that tonight as we close. Rejoice in the Lord. I don't care if you're on the floor. I don't care if you're going through the hardest moment in your life. Rejoice in the Lord. Say, I will joy in the, in the God of my salvation. Remember, this life is short. It's but a vapor, a mist. Poof, it will be gone. And then you will be with the Lord. So hold on, hold fast, trust, and walk in that. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, tonight, some may feel knocked down, overwhelmed. Oh, there was a good day in the past, but today is not such a good day. And Lord, things are crashing down. Lord, I pray that right where they're at, as Paul did, and Barnabas, that they would begin to celebrate. They begin to give you praise, give you glory, Lord. Because, Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You're the God of all gods. You're, you're the king of all kings. You're the one that sets in motion life. And Lord, you know when it starts and you know when it finishes and you know how it will finish. So Lord, may we step into joy in the midst of adversity. May we step into joy. May we, may we step into contentment in the midst of circumstances. And may, may we find incredible relationship and intimacy in that that there is a God, a heavenly Father that wraps his arms around us in the midst of the difficulties and the adversities and the infirmities that we all go through. And yet, he comes behind us and says, oh, I've got great things for you. Hold on to that tonight. And let's begin to magnify the Lord, bring glory to his name as we end tonight. Let's celebrate his name in Jesus' name. Amen.